Well, praise the Lord, and welcome to Cross Time with Pastor Curtis. I'm Pastor Curtis Hutchinson here in the studio at Crossway Church in Queen City, Texas, and I'm glad that you've joined us, found us on social media somewhere, and, uh, and we're gathered around God's Word this morning in 1 Peter chapter 4. If you want to go ahead and get your Bibles and get ready to follow along with us, you'll find it very pleasurable. You'll find the truth being laid on the table this morning as we look at all things through Christ and what he's done for us, who he is and what he did for us at Calvary. For there we'll find the true meaning, impartation by the Holy Spirit and everything we've been looking for all of our lives. And I'm so thankful to know that here in, at this very point in my life and my ministry that the Lord has given to us. We had a fabulous weekend in New Jersey and uh, with the Andre family and Laura Catapano there from uh, Guilford, Connecticut as well, and some others that visited the meetings. And we're just uh, so excited about what the Lord is doing in these last days, spreading the good news of Jesus Christ, how to be saved, how to live saved, and to bring glory unto our faithful Father in heaven. <coughs> also, next month, I think it's July the 17th through the 20th, Determined Youth Camp. It's coming up very quick. And so uh, if you've not uh, signed up yet, you can do that. If you need a form, just contact myself or Pastor uh, Clint Bass from Palestine, Texas, and uh, Lindsey Bass from uh, Palestine, Texas, or whoever you can to get a form filled out and uh, you can either send your finances to them or you can do the what we have is the text to give. You can text your, your donation, your payment for youth camp on our text to give number, which is 903-231-5950. And uh, it's going to be a great time in the Lord this year. For any more details you need, just contact either myself or the Bass family there in Palestine, Texas, and I'm telling you, last year was great. This year will be greater as we always gather around the sacrifice of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. So, praise the Lord. 1 Peter chapter 4, let's again start in verse 12 this morning, and we will work our way through this a little bit more today if we can. We'll just follow the leading of the Holy Spirit and he will guide us into where we need to be that he might be able to impart truth into our hearts. That's what we desperately need. We don't want to just be hearing and, 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 and uh, learning and not end up in the place of application. Most of what Christians are hearing today is, 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 is really, for the most part of it, it's nothing the Holy Spirit can really even impart because he hasn't, he's not able for the biggest part of the body of Christ, 90% and higher, he's not able to get us to look at what he delivers us unto at all times, every moment of our lives, which is the death of Jesus, 2 Corinthians 4.11. Until we learn to look at what he's showing us, which is the great mirror, the looking glass of, of us being able to look at what God is actually doing and conforming and changing us into the image of Christ crucified, by the way, his death, until he gets us to look at that, there's no way that he'll be able to even get us, uh, get us delivered unto that. And if we're not being delivered unto that, if we're rejecting this way, then we have absolutely no way of expressing Christ. That's 2 Corinthians 4, 11 through 13, which even discusses there the reality of true Biblical faith, the spirit of faith. You, you do yourself a, a great, great thing by going and checking those verses out. And, uh, but uh, we want to look at this this morning. Beloved, think it not strange, verse 12, 1 Peter chapter 4. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. For the Christian... 
the, the test and the trials will come. It's always a matter of our faith being tried. Now, this is twofold. This is all of our lives we've heard uh, the phrase, well, it's your faith that's on trial. And that's true. But if we don't understand, there's, that, that really means two things. Two things, not just one. It means two. First of all, what's on trial is the object of your faith. Is our faith really in the death of Jesus? Is it in God's word in its righteous context, the word of righteousness, meaning the word of the cross? For there all the, the instructions and commands that we've been given, even in the new covenant, that Jesus said if we loved him, we'd be found obeying. All these things are there for us, but we, we will never... We will never be able to receive proper instruction and walk in the instruction as God intends on us to until we're looking at what he's trying to get us to see through the looking glass at the cross of Christ. Without that, my friend, then, then you're, we might say for a hundred years, our faith is on trial. Your faith is on trial, son. <coughs> Excuse me. But really, for our faith to be on trial, that means two things. It means the object of our faith. Is it right? If it's not the death of Jesus, my friend, then it won't do any good for you to think your faith is on trial. For if you don't get the first part right, the object of your faith being the, the death of Jesus... That's the only object of faith God has allowed his people to have. That's why he declares in Galatians 6 and 14 that he forbids we boast in any other thing than the cross. Why? It's the only object of faith he's given anyone, anywhere, anytime. I mean, it's Jesus Christ and him crucified. It's not just Jesus Christ it's Jesus Christ and him crucified. Those who just want to go with just Jesus, they find themselves in a boatload of mess because without the cross, there's no way of ridding ourselves of self. There's no way of us even following Christ without the cross. Jesus taught us that in Luke 9 and 23, Luke 14, 26 and 27, and in other places. So we've got to understand this. When, when, <clears throat> when we think, when we're told, don't be thinking it strange, man. Don't be thinking it strange when when these fiery trials come to try you, they come because they come to try your faith. But if you don't understand that that means the object of your faith, the cross, the death of Jesus, then all of your life, you, you, you'll live a life of confusion and contradiction if you don't understand that. And then number two, and number two only counts, it only counts and, and functions and, 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 and do we walk in the true experience of this number two we're about to talk about if we get number one right, the object of our faith. Faith being tried means is it still in the sacrifice of Christ? And number two, are you keeping it? Are you exercising that face. You see, it's not how much faith we have. We say, wow, I only could dream of having as much faith as that guy has. It's not about the amount of faith anybody has. A matter of truth, the Bible says we've all been measured or given, we've been dealt by God the measure of faith. No one has more faith than anyone else. And to listen to someone talking that mumbo-jumbo, it's not biblical. It's not true. What is true is that they may be keeping the faith more than I keep it. They may be exercising their faith far more than I exercise my faith. But we all have the measure 
of faith. Jesus said, with faith the size of a grain of a mustard seed, mountain could be moved. So you've come too late to try to tell me that some people have more faith. No, if you fall into that uh, vain imaginative way of thinking, you'll also reach a point at some place, you'll say, my faith is not working. And that's never the case. Faith always works if we will fight to keep it. Faith never fails because it works by love, Galatians 5 and 6. And love can never, ever fail. That means faith, when kept, I'm sorry, that's not a good statement. Faith can never fail. It's, it'll never fail. I can fail to keep it. I can fail to exercise faith. But faith can't fail. That's why this is so important. It, because those who have true faith, those who have their faith in the purpose driven, the government of 12, the words they speak, the money they give, any object of faith other than the cross of Christ, the enemy don't need to try your faith, my friend, because you don't even have it in the right place to begin with. There won't be any faith tried that's not in the sacrifice. What, what, need, what need is there for a faith to be tried if it's not even in the right object? Because if it's not in the right object, it can never produce the right fruit. Think about the simplicity of this. And for all these years, for, for many, many years, uh, preachers have, have been in pulpits uh, uh, not pointing using God's word, they're not pointing to the cross of Christ, just preaching all sorts of objects of faith. And this is the dilemma that the church finds itself in today. While we blame political, while we blame this preacher, that preacher, the problem has always been in the church the wrong object of faith. And if we don't have the right object of faith, we can all our lives, we can live all our lives saying, my faith is on trial again. My faith is on trial again. And preachers will tell you, son, great faith will be greatly tested. Well, let me say something about the phrase great faith. If that doesn't mean greatly exercised faith, then it's just words that we use that people, oh, great faith is greatly tested. No, greatly exercised faith is greatly tested, my friend, because nobody just has great faith. They have greatly exercised faith, but, but to use phrases like great faith makes it belittles others, but it also exalts others. So we've all been dealt, the Bible says in Romans 12 and 3, that all of us have been dealt, Christians, the measure of faith. Our issue is that we just need to learn to exercise it where it is exercised. It, it cannot be exercised anywhere other than where it was dealt to us at. And that's the cross. If it's not in the death of Jesus, it's not going to be tried because it's not in the right object. And most of Christianity today, most Christians live when their, their call and their faith is being tried, but really they don't even know what they're saying. Because the only trial, the only courtroom for your faith the only trial of our faith is twofold. Is it in the death, the cross of Christ, and will we fight to keep it there? That's the good fight of faith. That's the good fight of faith. Amen. It's not faith to believe this and faith to believe that. It's faith to lay hold on eternal life. It's faith to maintain our, our, our object of faith correctly, the death of Jesus. If we don't know this, then we will live very confused in, in lives full of contradiction. We'll quote this scripture one day, and, and, and then tomorrow we'll quote this scripture, and they'll cause so much contradiction because we don't understand the common denominator for 
all Scripture is Christ crucified. I'm sorry for all those that don't know this, and I'm sorry for all those that refuse this, and I hate it for Christians who think they need more than what the Lamb of God provided at Calvary. I'm sorry about all the Christians who won't go the distance. They won't endure Deny the, the life of denying, denying themselves, taking up their cross to follow Christ so that they can present them, themselves, their bodies as living sacrifices, which is God's only way of our experiential uh, place of righteousness and holiness. I'm sorry for those that leave the focus of Calvary to go out and try to make something happen using Scripture twisted in all their ways. But it's always been that way. It's the lowly. It's the humble who simply trust in the death of Jesus. They're hidden in that place. They, they look like the weak ones. And, and we are because the Bible tells us we are. We are weak. In Christ. The Bible tells us that in 2 Corinthians 13 and 4. We're weak in Him because He was crucified through weakness, yet He lives by the power of God. And because our faith is in His death, then we are also weak in Him, but yet if that's where our faith is found, we can live with him by the power of God as well, but not unless our faith is in his death. And that makes us look weak. It makes us look like weak sheep that need a shepherd that, <coughs> that doesn't have a shepherd. It makes us look just like Jesus on the cross. When they looked at him that day and said, Oh my Whatever power he had before, he has lost it. He's moved away from it. He's, you know, when they cried, you saved others, can't you save yourself? Come down from the cross, then we'll believe on you. That's what goes on in the church today. And people run, I speak from experience, my friends. We run away from the cross because the way of the cross is a way of true biblical trial of our faith. It's the only way of true scriptural suffering for righteousness. There is no, all the other suffering that's not suffering because of your faith in the death of Jesus is just suffering that the world, all the world will go through even without Christ. Suffering. You're going to suffer. And as we brought out in this teaching, in this chapter, it's up to us to choose which way we will go of suffering. Will we just suffer because we live in after the flesh, because we're chasing the next newest fad down? One of the biggest things right now coming back, I say, into the church is that Christians have demons and demonology and demonized. And, and there's always something behind that uh, where the enemy's painted a picture uh, to, to try to make us... There's always something there that's, that's caused our flesh to lust after those things. But it won't work here, my friend. We will remain steadfast in the faith that allows us to see steadfastly the words of life in their proper context. And no matter what we look like to the world, no matter what we even look like to the biggest majority of the church, we will remain at the sacrifice, at the place of sacrifice. For only there can we live hidden in being buried with our Christ, yet by the power of God risen with our Christ. Hallelujah to the Lamb. So think on these things now. Think on these things. They're, they're, we're living in a time where, where there's, Christians are being tried to see if they'll keep their faith in the cross and if they'll keep their faith there. See, there's a great excitement that comes when you've been astray. Now, most of the church doesn't know what I'm talking about right now, but, but some of you do. There's a great excitement and joy and great zeal that comes when God finds us 
wayward and in religion and and he he brings us back to our first love back to the focus of calvary as he gathers his people around the sacrifice of the lamb once again there's a great zeal and excitement in learning the word of god but then comes that great test the great trial and it will bring suffering it will bring it and we'll see it today and that is the trial whether you will or will not allow the Holy Spirit to apply the way of the cross to your life. You must count the cost, my friends. It will cost you greatly. It, Jesus paid the price in full, but it will cost you to walk this way. It will cost you really one thing alone, and that is the denial of self. Self must be denied. Self cannot be running any sort of the show, any part of the show. Self cannot be in charge. Self must be denied for me to even be able to follow Christ through faith in his cross. Do you understand that? It cannot be self and the cross because the cross is what removes my ideals, my thoughts, my ways. The cross is the only thing that will remove me and me glorying in me, even in its hidden religious forms of godliness, uh, the cross is the only thing that removes me, but the cross is also the greatest thing that brings the greatest suffering into my life. So let's read this today. Don't think it's strange concerning the fiery, fiery, hot, fervent trial which is going to try you. As though some strange thing has happened to you. How many times have we done that? How many times have we said, I cannot believe this is happening to me? Or how about this statement? I cannot believe this is happening to me again. And my friends, listen. When you choose to go the way of the cross, to follow Christ, because he can't be followed any other way, when you choose to go this way, you must understand suffering comes with it. Not just an initial suffering of being uprooted from where you were gathered around those who were not humble, not condescending to the lowly, which means associating themselves with the humble. When you uproot yourself from these denominational gatherings that want nothing to do with the sacrifice of Christ. They say they believe in it, but they, but they put it on the shelf for other things. When you have to uproot yourself from, from uh, uh, family uh, ties and agreements, religious agreements, and you move away to carry the cross, to deny self, suffering comes. Suffering among loved ones, suffering among church folks, suffering among co-workers. You're not going to ever deny self, take up the cross, and follow Christ without suffering coming with that. It's an absolute impossibility. And if you're trying to avoid suffering at all cost, then you will never deny self and take up the cross to follow Christ. But when you see he's worthy to suffer for, when you see he's worthy to have suffered for you so that we could rejoice in as much as being partakers of Christ's sufferings, when we see the true value of what he did for us at Calvary, then my friend, though we don't like to suffer, though we hate suffering, we can also learn to rejoice in the benefit of suffering. The benefit of suffering. Because without suffering, there is no glory. Look at this next verse in verse 13. Because we're told what to do. Number one, in verse 12, we're told what not to do. Don't think it's strange concerning the fiery trials when you're tried. They're trying you. They're trying the object of your faith. Will you keep it in the cross? And number two, will you just keep it? Will you keep it in the cross 
And will you just keep it? Will you exercise it? Will you keep holding fast to the faith that was dealt to you when you initially believed with the heart unto the saving and righteous work of Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross? For there's where it was dealt to you, and only there does it work. As you've heard many times probably in your life, the faith that saves is the only faith that works. And it only works when it's placed in that one object where God saved you. It won't work outside of that. So there won't be any need of it being tested when it's in something else. The only test of our faith when it's not in the cross is to see if we'll put it back in the death of Jesus. And then to see if we'll fight to keep it there. Amen? But watch, verse, verse number 12 tells us what not to do. Don't think it's strange when your faith is going to be tried to see if you'll keep it in the cross. And number 13, verse number 13 tells us what to do. But rather rejoice, but watch the wording here in your Bibles, but rejoice in as much. And that word means to the extent of your partaking with Christ's sufferings. Look at this now. But rejoice in as much, in, in as much as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings. Our rejoicing and our dealing properly with the fiery trials that come to try our faith our rejoicing will be limited to the amount. The amount. Look, in as much speaks of an amount. In is a place. As much speaks of an amount. But rejoice in as much to the extent of your partaking of Christ's sufferings that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. Do you know what this Bible verse tells us? More than one or two things. But number one, we need to be thinking about that glory that's going to be revealed. We need to be thinking about that glory that's going to be revealed. We need to be also seeing here written in this Bible verse that many, many, many Christians are not going to be glad with exceeding joy when they go home. Yeah, so many Christians think that, 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 that when we see the Lord, we're all, oh, we're all going to be excited to see Him, but we're not all going to be glad with exceeding joy. And the reason that many will not be is because they will be ashamed of their avoiding the suffering that could have prepared them for the glory and the place of gladness and exceeding joy. You see, if we're avoiding suffering, if, if, if we don't want to be found among those who are preaching the cross, determined to know nothing but the cross, and we're throwing rocks at them, the only reason that's taking place is because folk are avoiding the suffering. There are many today, even in this hour, that had the fire of the Holy Spirit for many years preaching the message of the cross, preaching the fire of God. But now that fire has dwindled down and there's really there nothing more than talking about the cross occasionally. The preaching of the cross has settled away. It's, it's moved away. And let me say this, my friends. There's only one sure reasoning behind it is because we reach a place. This happens because we reach a place we. We're, we begin avoiding the suffering, whether it's the suffering of, fi of finances coming in the ministry, whether it's the suffering of people leaving the ministry, whether it's the suffering of whatever it is. If we start attempting to avoid the suffering, 
that we obviously know is going to take place if we keep denying self and taking up our cross to be able to follow Christ. If we keep preaching this message, if we learn to, to start becoming determined to know nothing other than Christ and Him crucified, it's going to bring a greater place of suffering, a greater experience of suffering. It's just going to happen. And if we avoid it, if we avoid it, and we've watched many move away from this place. They're tired of, of being not knowing whether they're going to get a kiss or a slap from people. Tired of ministries not having anything wanting to do with them because of this cross stuff. And so we begin to allow a little leaven to come in. Listen, there's only one reason behind that. One, we're trying to avoid suffering. There is no ceasing of suffering when you carry the cross. It only, it only becomes greater. Suffering becomes greater and greater. You don't learn. Listen, when you're on the cross, my friend, you're not getting, there is no place of being comfortable on the cross. You don't learn to become comfortable in the way of righteousness in the way of God's holy commandment, in the way of the cross. You don't learn to be comfortable. It's not a comfortable place. It's a place of suffering. We are to present our bodies living sacrifices. If, if, listen, people that don't know that beyond words written on a page won't have a clue what I'm talking about. But we are called to suffer. We are. We, uh, Peter wrote about this. Let's turn back a couple of chapters in, in, verse, in chapter 2, in verse 21. For even hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example. And when you avoid the example, you, you, you're avoiding the benefits. Then you have to start making stuff up. Then you have to start uh, uh, describing things. Listen, when you avoid the suffering, the contradiction and confusion begins. When you avoid the suffering, the contradiction and confusion begins. i got to say it. A third time. When we avoid the suffering for simple faith and being determined to know nothing other than Christ and Him crucified, when we avoid that suffering, confusion and contradiction begins to take place. We say this today, but tomorrow we speak a different word and people don't understand. At one time we, we said this, but now we're, uh, we're also saying this. And, and now we're saying these people over here are saying the same thing. We're saying they're just using different words, but we don't recognize because we're trying to avoid suffering that what they're saying, that we're saying they're saying the same thing, but what they're saying and the way they're saying it is not an offense. And if, it's, if it doesn't carry with it an offense, then it is not the preaching of the gospel. It's not the preaching of the cross. We should awaken to the reality of this. Think about this. And I used this recently three or four times, but listen to this reality, the picture of this. This church over here is preaching the cross. Nobody likes them. They're just all about the cross. But I like the church across the road. They're preaching on God's love. Oh, just God's love. Hallelujah. Oh, we just ought to all love each other, which is a true statement. And we better be loving one another. But over here where they're preaching God's love, there's, no, there's, there's nothing offensive there. There's no offense. And let me remind you, the message of the cross is the message of God's love. You can't escape that. So here's where they say, well, it's the way they're preaching it. <laughs> My friend, that's an avoidance of suffering, escaping the persecution, 
trying to go around. And when you go around suffering, you're going around the benefits of the gospel. You're going around the example Christ left us. We read it here in 1 Peter 2 and 21. When we go around suffering, when we avoid suffering, well, let's just go back to chapter 4 and look at verse 1 and verse 2. For as much, there's that amount again. Think about it. There's that amount. For as much then as Christ suffered for us in his flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. There it is again. For he that has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Now that moves from Christ to us, all in one verse. Because when we trust in Christ crucified and what he did to our flesh there, our flesh, its lust and affections have been crucified. Galatians 5 tells us that. And when we're trusting in Christ crucified and what he did not only for us but to us there, my friend, that brings suffering, first of all and foremost, to our own flesh because he's going to be now denied the right to boast in his programs, his activities, his doings. Amen. But watch verse 2, that he no longer should live the rest of his life in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. You see, if you avoid, if you try to go around suffering, you're avoiding the will of God. You're not going to go around suffering and then make up the will of God using Bible verses as we have done for many, many years. If you go around suffering, it means we're avoiding the cross. And if you go around the cross, you can no longer even be benefited by Christ. Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. I hope you're getting your Bibles and or at least writing these things down and you won't stay stuck in that rut of just vain imagination. Well, God loves me. God loves you. But notice, and I, I've been bringing this up a lot in Revelation chapter 3 at the end of that chapter concerning the, the church of Laodicea, the church of Laodicea meaning they had his spirit. But they did not have the communion with the spirit. I'm going to say that again. The church of Laodicea. If you're the church, you have the spirit of God, or, or you're not the church. The church of Laodicea had the Spirit of God, but they were not in communion with the Holy Spirit. Now let's look at this this morning in 2 Corinthians. This is, hopefully we'll teach this soon. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and is it the very last verse? No. Or is it? Is it 2 Corinthians 13 uh, for, uh, let me see if I can find, yes, I'm sorry. 2 Corinthians, write this down, unless you have your Bibles, look at it with me this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 14. This is the end of this letter and the very last letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. And he says here in this last line of this last letter, these words. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion or the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. The fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Now, these three things mentioned here, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship, the communion of the Holy Spirit cannot be separated. They cannot be separated. 
If we fall from grace, Galatians chapter 5, really the whole letter of Galatians, if we fall from grace, <coughs> that means we're no longer functioning in the place where the love of God resides. I want you to understand it. God doesn't stop loving you, but the experience of that love becomes vain in our imaginations if we're not experiencing the love of God through the grace of God. And all of these things take place by our fellowship with the Holy Spirit. The fellowship, the communion of the Holy Spirit. And now there's another Bible verse in Corinthians that tells us that our communion is in the blood. Our fellowship is in the blood. So if our communion and our fellowship is in the blood, and our communion, if it's going to be with God, if it's going to be in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God, has got to be with the communion, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. These Bible verses prove to us the righteously dividing of Scripture allow us to see this morning again that the Holy Spirit's communion with the people of God is based on what they're doing by faith in the blood of Jesus. See, the only thing that's on the table of communion is the flesh and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if that is not what our faith is consciously and deliberately in, not Pentecost, not healing, not deliverance, not all the other things. And then we find our boast in these other things. If our faith, if our hearts are not believing right now unto the death of Jesus, then our communion with the Holy Spirit is not what we think it is. Go back to the people in Laodicea, the church. You can read this in Revelation 3.20, the scripture we've quoted and heard quoted and preached and taught all our lives. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice open the door, I'll come in, sup with him and them with me. Sup with them. That means partake with them and them partake of me. If any man hear my voice and open the door. See, the knock on the door is the voice of God. That voice, Hebrews 12 tells us, speaks from heaven through the blood. The voice of God speaks from heaven through the blood. No longer in various ways and diverse manners as in the old covenant. Most Christians are still hung up in various ways and diverse manners. Was that God? Ooh, was that God? Ooh, did you see that cloud? No, no, my friend. God says that's over. God says that's over. He now speaks to us from heaven through the blood by His Son. That's it. So think about this church in Laodicea who had the indwelling presence of the Spirit of God, but they were not in communion with the Spirit of God. Had they been, Jesus would not be knocking to get back into fellowship with them. So think about, see, this, I speak from experience. This is the very place and experience I was found in some 20 years ago. I want you to hear me clearly. I heard the knock on the door. The, the knock, like the burning bush in Moses' day, got his attention. But what brought him to reality was the voice. What got his attention was the burning bush. But what brought him to a place of reality and following the Lord was the voice of God. The knock on the door is always to get your attention. If you're sitting at home and you're doing whatever you're doing and a knock is on the door, then you it gets your attention. But you have to open the door, my friend, to see what the knock was all about. And when you do, you will hear the voice. Let's go look at that Bible verse today just to make sure that we get it right. Because it, this is to saved people. 
This is to people who have the indwelling presence of God. But let me make the statement again. The indwelling presence of God is not the approval of God. It's only the approval that you were saved. It's not the approval that you're experiencing the will of God. The indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit only proves that you were saved. But look at these saved Christians in Laodicea in Revelation 3 verse 20. Behold, this, these are the words of our Savior to a saved church who had the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit inside of them. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, open their heart, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. This does not just mean some thoughts of worship, some thoughts of praise. For Jesus to be able to sup with us and us with him, we must, as he told us in John chapter 6, verses 53 through 56, and even other verses in that great chapter there in John chapter 6, we must be eating his flesh and drinking his blood. That is not a one-time meal. That was a one-time meal to get you saved and in Christ and in the kingdom and his spirit indwelling you. But for you and I to be in communion with the Holy Spirit in fellowship with our Jesus, we must be partaking of the flesh and the blood of Jesus. Do you understand that? Think about how awful this is. And again, I'm not sharing anything that hasn't already happened to me. I have been in revival. I have been experiencing the life of Christ since I was brought back by our faithful Savior to the truth and the focus and the reality of the one object of faith that allows me to remain in this place of my first love that allows me to remain at the table of the Lord with the Lord where he's not knocking to get into fellowship with me and where he is in fellowship with me. We're partaking together and it's all wrapped up in the communion of the Holy Spirit. I hope you took a note on that 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 14 today. Because without our communion being of the Holy Spirit, the communion of the Holy Spirit, which is the communion that He provides us with fellowship with our Savior as we're partaking of His grace and His love through exclusive faith in His death, His sacrificial work at Calvary. This is the place of life. It's the place of initial life. It's the place of revived life. It's the place of initial fire burning in the heart. It's the place of rekindled fire. God cannot rekindle the fire in His people's heart until they hear the knock, it gets their attention, and then they hear the voice. They recognize whose voice it is and what He's pointing them to once again. The, the, the one thing that they've avoided and has caused them great deceitful deception. You see, our communion is not with the Holy Spirit if our faith is not in the death of Jesus. Not was in, is in. Partaking, partaking, not having partaken, they were the church because they had partaken. The church in Galatia was the church even though they'd fallen from grace and were out of fellowship and were out of communion with the Holy Spirit. They were not partaking. You see, my friend, all these little local churches and storefronts and Pastors that God is raising up now. Put, 
pulling them out of these denominational hierarchies where men control and people control, all boasting in the legacy of their daddy's this and their grandfather's that, instead of denying self, taking up the cross to be able to follow Christ, only boasting in Christ and Him crucified, the cross. The reason it's all avoided is because we avoid suffering. Never forget that. Never forget that. Many won't believe it, but they'll stay in their place of deceitful deception, sitting under men with great swelling words who've become very skilled in deceitfully framing their words to paint a picture to get you to follow them. That's always been the problem. Men following men through the fear of men instead of men following God through the fear of the Lord. The secret of the Lord is with those who fear Him. And He shows them His covenant. Psalms 25, 14. Most today can hear what I'm saying this morning using Scripture all the way. They could hear it, and because they're trapped in the fear of men, they won't let go of what holds them in that trap. See, if the Bible tells us in more than one place that the fear of man is a snare. So something about the fear of man holds us trapped in a place that prevents us from walking in the place we should be walking. So while we're trapped in the cage, the fear of men, we have to, because now in that cage only confusion and contradiction can exist. But in that cage, we use scripture in that cage of the fear of men. In that snare, we learn how to use scriptures in our own context to make it look like, appear like, we're not really trapped or snared at all, but we are. And again, let me say today that I've been there. I speak from experience. God sees your heart, and He sees the heart that would rather serve Him and be found pleasing to Him instead of serving men and being found pleasing unto men. Jesus told the religious Pharisees of His day that they could not believe upon Him. Listen to this so powerful. You cannot believe upon Me, Jesus said, because you seek honor from men instead of that which comes from God. You see, the fear of men will keep you from believing properly that which is truth. Imagine being trapped in a cage called the fear of men. It's where denominational strongholds exist. Well, if I walk away from this, I've, and, and let me say this, I've been told through the years by several people here in our own community, Oh, I love your teaching and, I, and your preaching. But if I were to leave our church, my grandmother would roll over in her grave. Do you know what that testimony says? That even though Jesus taught, if you put your family before me, you're not worthy of me. I'm, see, I'm confused, so I have to see that in a different light that's not light at all. Because see, if I were to get up and get out of where I sit in churches, millions today sit in churches and tell others their preacher can't preach, their church is dead, there's no fire there, there's nothing going on. It's been this way for years. People tell each other that. They testify to that. And the reason, the one reason they won't get up and get out is because they're avoiding suffering. So they're in the same boatload of whatever the problem is in that church. They're a part of the problem 
because they won't get up and get out and move away from, not stop loving people, not stop caring for people, but they refuse to get up and get out and get away from that, to turn away from that which only has a form of godliness but no power. They refuse to suffer. And if my friend, if you're not willing to suffer for Christ, you're never going to find your feet in the path of righteousness. Not going to happen. The path of righteousness brings automatic persecution. Paul wrote to Timothy and said, "All the let me say it again, all those that shall live, that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Are you suffering? Are people criticizing you, making fun of you, laughing at you, lamblasting you? Many who we walked with for years are now criticizing us because they are avoiding suffering. They've gone back into what's familiar, what's comfortable. If you avoid the cross, it's because you're avoiding persecution and suffering. First and foremost, the suffering of self. That's the first thing that suffers when we take up the cross. And thank God, self suffers being denied. And self is either suffering denial or Christ is suffering. He's really not suffering. Let me see how we could say that this morning. Self is either suffering through the denial and our taking up the cross or we're suffering in some ungodly way instead of suffering for righteousness' sake. Think about that. Let's go back to our text. First Peter chapter 4. Where are we? Watch this now. Verse 14. For if you be reproached for the name of Christ, and that means insulted, criticized, persecuted. If you be reproached, put down mocked, laughed at, called all sorts of names. You've made a law out of preaching the cross. You got to say the cross. They, they're out there saying you got to say the cross. I mean, all those phrases only come from people who are moving away from the determined place or don't have never even known it because they're avoiding suffering. Get this. If you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are you. Blessed, that means, are you. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, those who are reproaching you, he is, he, God, he, Christ, is evil. It's not you and me. This is what we need to understand. It's not you and me. We experience the suffering, but it's because he, they, the people who reproach us and throw rocks at us, they're speaking evil about our Savior. Get that. But on your part, now this is the way God sees it, and we need to see it the way God sees it. On your part, as you suffer, for bearing and carrying the reproach of Christ's name, which doesn't mean just the word Jesus Christ. It means what he did at Calvary because that's what his name means, Savior. And he saved you at the cross. Hollywood uses the name Christ in an ungodly manner. Many people use the name Jesus. But you suffer because your faith is in what Jesus means, Savior, the cross. We suffer the reproach for the name of Christ. That right there should be to us the manifestation of being blessed. And that the spirit of glory 
and of God is resting on us now. It's unseen by them. It's unseen by most of the church. If the church believed this, knew this, the whole church world in an instant would be changed in a spectacular manner as it would be. It would appear that it was just in much turmoil, but what it would be would be God's people uprooting themselves from all these ways of men and finding their place of being planted in the house of the Lord by the Lord where it pleases Him, and then they could flourish in the courts of their God. Hallelujah. But watch this. If you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are you, blessed are you, because the Spirit of glory and of God is resting upon you. That's now. During suffering, this now. Thank God. This should let us see even more so that we should be rejoicing when we suffer. This is the manifestation to us of the blessed place of the spirit of glory and of God. God resting on us. Hallelujah. On their part, those who are reproaching and causing the suffering, on their part, our Savior is evil spoken of. How? Because they're saying and doing things to us for being determined to know nothing other than Christ and Him crucified. But on our part, He's being glorified. In our suffering, by denial of self, taking up the cross, our Savior is being glorified. Don't avoid suffering because if you do, you're avoiding the place of the experience of the Spirit of glory and of God resting upon you. Listen, the way of the cross does not appear pleasant and good to even almost all of preachers. The cross always go back to Calvary and the way it appeared. Whatever he had, he doesn't have it anymore. The more you understand the way of righteousness, which is the way of the cross, which is the automatic way of suffering, the more you're going to understand that it does not have an appearance to men that's appealing. People are going to leave you. They're going to say, whatever you had, you don't have whatever. Man, there's no power here. There's no power there. I need to go somewhere where there's power. And they go somewhere to church where there's some entertaining display of the fear of men caged in cages, trapped and snared on display there. But it's not the power of the cross because they're not preaching the cross. Hallelujah. Well, unfortunately, we're out of time. We're out of time again. I just want to say... This is, this is beyond wonderful to me. Not just because the words written here on paper, but because I'm talking about this morning things that I have experienced in my own life. What God has brought me out of, what God has brought me through, and He's looking right now for every child of God to be able to recognize that the way he's called us to walk in, the example he's given us is the example of suffering for the glory of Christ and of God to be resting upon his people. It cannot happen without the suffering that takes place for the name of Christ, which means for the sake of Denial of self, taking up our cross to follow our Savior. God bless you richly. I pray that you'd find the spirit of glory and of God resting on you as our God is able to bring you back to your first love, the place where faith always works. And when it's tested, it'll always stand true through every, tri through every trial, praise God. Faith can never fail. And when it's tried, it's only being tried to see if you'll keep clinging to that old rugged cross, 
so that you can bear forth the fruit of the one that you were created in his image, the Lord Jesus Christ. I love you. Glad you found us online. If you're looking for more of what you heard this morning, you can find that at thecrosswaychurch.com. That's our website. The YouTube channel carries it all for time past and, and, and much, much, much is there on the YouTube channel, which is Curtis Hutchinson 316. And I encourage you to go there and hear more of the truth of God's Word in its righteous context. If the Lord stirs your heart to be a part of this ministry, number one, please pray for us. Just like the Apostle Paul asking for prayer, so are we. Pray for us that we might continue to have the confidence in our Lord, the boldness of our Lord to carry the message and the gospel of our Lord, the message of the cross to the ends of this earth. And if the Lord stirs your heart to sow an offering to Him, that's between you and Him. But you can easily do that at thecrosswaychurch.com or you can simply text the word GIVE to the number 903-231-5950. Or you can mail your offering to this address, 610 Highway 59, Queen City, Texas, 75572. God bless you. I love you. And I pray that the Lord touch body, soul, and spirit today of every one of you in Jesus' name. I'll see you next time. Until then, stay determined to know absolutely nothing but Christ and Him crucified. We'll see you then.